Today we're going to finish up our letters in John. So we've been walking through 1 John predominantly. Um, today we're going to cover 2nd and 3rd John just real quickly, and then we're going to dive deeper into 2nd John. Um, I'm loving the dusting of snow out. Back in Texas six months ago, this would have looked like the end of the world. So um, here it's just another day. So happy to see you all this morning. Before we really dive into 2nd John, I just want to give you an overview because next week we're going to move into uh, Advent series. We're going to start gearing up for Christmas. So 2nd John, believe it or not, was written by the Apostle John. It wasn't Paul. Um, it was likely written to modern-day Western Turkey. And scholars argue on whether it's written to the elect lady. And scholars argue, as they always argue about literally everything, on whether or not the elect lady is a literal person and her family, or if it was a metaphor for the church there. Either way, the themes don't change, the lessons don't change that we can glean from the text. Um, the overall theme of 2 John, as we're going to get to see in a little bit, is the idea of love and truth being intertwined. And then it goes on as a warning of deceivers coming into the church. And we're going to get to dive into that a little bit more. 3 John is really more geared of love and action. So it's geared more to hospitality. John is writing to his friend Gaius. And he's also, he mentions another guy named Demetrius. These are the people that he encourages. They're doing great. Um, he just encourages them to continue to welcome missionaries. This was very common. Think of all of the missionary journeys that Paul went on. Um, but he also takes some time to condemn uh, diatrophies, which, man, it would be rough to go down as one of the people getting condemned in Scripture, right? Um, but Diotrephes, just every step of the way is opposing the apostles. He is saying, hey, don't welcome these missionaries in. You know, don't listen to them. And John goes on in 3 John to talk about, hey, imitate good. Don't imitate evil, re referring to Diotrephes. So um, I wish we had time to walk through both books. Um, we, even though they're two of the shortest books in Scripture, we'd be here all day if we walked through all of them. Uh, Third John is the shortest. I think a lot of people probably think Jude, but Third John is just a few verses. Um, but without fur further ado, let's just walk through Second John. And we're going to look at really the meat of this. We're, um, it's only 13 verses, and we're going to cover a majority of them. Um, as we dive into this, I want you to be thinking about the concept of love. Think about what, what are the key components of love? When you think of love, what's the first thing that if, if it doesn't have this, it's no longer love? Is it those warm, fuzzy feelings? Is it loyalty? You know, just be kind of thinking through that as we look at Scripture and see what Scripture teaches us is a key component of love itself. Um, so it starts off with just your typical greeting to the elect lady and her children, once again, whether that's the church or a literal lady in the church. Doesn't really matter too much. Uh, he begins with just a greeting. He begins with a blessing. 
um, just blessing them in truth and love, encouraging them. He's rejoicing alongside this elect lady because some of her children are walking in the truth. So they accepted the Lord and they're walking according to the commandments, as we're going to see. Um, you'll see throughout a lot of John's teaching, he mentions love and truth. Um, someone once told me that John loves love. And that is very much the case in all of his writing. So he, he begins right off the bat um, there in verse 5, and that's where we're going to pick up um, with preaching on love, and then he'll go into the warning. So I like to read the entire section. Before we start looking at individual trees, let's look at the entire forest, right? Um, so I'm just going to start reading, and we're just going to look at verses 5 through 11. Once again, this is just the meat. After 11, it's just the final greetings, like, hey, I'd really like to just say this stuff to your face, so we'll talk more once I get there. But starting in verse 5, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but one that I have had from the beginning, that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such as one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but we may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God, Whoever abides in the teachings has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So we're just going to walk through this scripture. We're going to start with verse 5 here. And once again, he starts with this greeting. He is essentially calling the elect lady, hey, let's get back to the basics. I'm, gonna, I'm writing you a commandment. It's a simple commandment. It's the one you've heard from the beginning. And what is that commandment? Well, it's that we love one another. This is something we've covered here on Sunday mornings. Adam preached on this a few weeks ago. There in John 4, I believe. This idea of love within the church. Love one another. There's unity. You've got to think, this is the early church period, persecution was everywhere. Unity was incredibly important. Um, this is the time where they were looked at, the early church was honestly looked at more as a Jewish cult, and it was not received well. There were a lot of people, think of what Paul was doing before he was converted. He was actively imprisoning Christians, killing them. So this is Nothing has changed at this point. Persecution is still heavy in the church, and the call to unity is as important as ever. So he's calling them to love one another, but it, it begs the question, what does that mean? You know, just love one another. If, if you went and surveyed 10 people at Safeway after church today and asked them, well, what does love mean? What does it mean to love someone? You're going to get a bunch of different answers that do not go together, that really don't jive. Um, and so 
what does he mean by this? What does he mean by love one another? Well, he goes right into it there in verse 6. Let's read that. And this is love. It's a little wordy. So, and this is love that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment. Just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. I love this definition because it's, it's really circular reasoning. So circular reasoning, think A is true because B is true, and B is true because A is true. It just kind of goes in a circle. Just look at it. It's love is walking according to the commandments. And what are the commandments? The commandments are to love, which is, it's interesting, right? It, it's circular. It, one defines the other. And normally in arguments, we're not big fans of the circular reasoning, but I think there's a lot we can learn from this aspect. The, there's a lot that we can learn from John saying that one causes the other and it just continues to build. We learn that the biggest thing is we learn that love and the commandments are the truth because what are the commandments? The commandments are what God has spoke to us through scripture. It's what he has said to us through his word. And we're going to dig a little bit more of what that means because he also mentions this the commandment that you heard from the beginning. So we see that love and the truth are inseparable because if, if you truly love, you'll walk in the commandments. And if you're walking in the commandments, you're going to truly love. And it's just going to keep building. Think of what is the greatest commandment? When Jesus was asked, Jesus, what's at all the law, what's the greatest commandment? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and the second is to love your neighbor. It's love. So if, if we truly love, we'll walk in the commandments in their fullness, in their um, entirety. And so they're inseparable. You can't have love without truth. And I think as we, we think through the idea of what is a key component of love, I don't think truth is the first thing that comes to mind. You know, usually it's, you know, these warm, fuzzy feelings, or it's um, just spending time with someone. But a key component of love, and think of it in the idea of marriage. The more you get to know your spouse, the more you love them, the deeper the love gets. It's based on the truth of who they are. And so the love of God, our love grows for him as we dive deeper into his commandments, into his truth. It goes deeper. It's circular, but it's almost like a spiral down, right? Or I don't know, that kind of sounds bad, but the idea of spiraling to goodness, right? It's not usually a thing. But the question is, he, he commands her to love, and the commandment is one from the beginning. So what is the basis of this love? What is the commandment that she heard from the beginning? Well, the question is, what is the commandment that every Christian who has just come to life through salvation, what is the first thing they hear? What is the thing that brings them to that salvation? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's the truth of what Jesus did for us in dying on the cross in our place for our brokenness, for our sinfulness, as we were in open rebellion against God. Jesus came and died in our place, was buried, and rose three days later. 
defeating death on our behalf. That was the commandment that she heard from the beginning. And that's the commandment that each and every Christian here heard from the beginning. Without the gospel, we can't love truly godly love. And without the gospel, there's definitely no way that we can walk out the commandments. There's no way that we can walk out. The command in the Old Testament is to be holy, for I am holy. Essentially, be perfect like God. Has anyone made that one yet? I'm still working on it. The idea of walking in love and truth is impossible without this commandment that you hear from the beginning. It's impossible without the gospel. And it's through Jesus that we can start that spiral. It's through Jesus where we can love more. It's through Jesus that we can understand what it means to walk out the commandments. Think, look at, once again, other, um, other passages from John. In his gospel, John chapter 13, we don't have it, just listen. Uh, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. It's a common theme with John. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. How are you to love one another? We are to love as Christ loved us. And how is that? It's sacrificially. So we see that the call that he's giving to the elect lady here is the same call that he gave in the Gospel of John. It's to love one another according to the gospel. And everything else falls in place. Everything else follows that. And once again, it starts that spiral of this perpetuating cycle. Instead of a cycle of sin and brokenness, it's a cycle of love and following what the Lord has called us to do. So there's this idea of Christ saving us from our brokenness so that we may follow him. We can't do it before. We can't walk in his commandments and we can't walk in true love because we don't know it. We don't know the truth of it. If you don't know the truth of what Jesus has done, how can you walk according to what he has commanded? And if you don't know what he's commanded, once again, if you don't know the truth of what he has called us to do and loving as he has loved, to go and make disciples, we can't do it. So this idea of love is so intertwined with truth, and it all starts with the gospel. So let's keep going. It's, it feels like a real tonal shift once we get to verse 7. You know, he's talking about loving one another and being together, you know, unity. And then he just, talk, he just jumps right into, watch out for deceivers and don't even, talk, don't even welcome them or greet them. So let's read the text and let's walk through it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such as one is the deceiver and the antichrist, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for. We win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching... Do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So let's give a little context to this. Um, persecution was not the only issue to the early church. 
And it wasn't even the worst issue to the early church. And in a lot of ways, persecution pushed them to grow. And it also pushed the gospel out of Jerusalem. When the persecution came to Jerusalem, people scattered. And the church in Romans that Paul is writing to, it was started by Christians that were scattered by that persecution. So persecution, yes, it's not something that's fun. It's not something that we want to go through. But a lot of time it will lead to church growth. But the issue that he is speaking of here is far worse because it leads to a corrupted church that becomes less effective or it could even potentially destroy the local church, could tear it down. And that is false teaching. Deceivers who are coming in that are walking through these areas and preaching a false gospel. This is not anything that's new. There are many books of the Bible that are dedicated to false teaching. The book of Galatians, I think, is probably the best example of this, where Paul is addressing a group called the Judaizers, who said, hey, yeah, Jesus is good and you should put your faith, but you also need to follow the law. You need to do these things also to be saved. And so they were trying to push this works-based gospel instead of a faith-based and relying on the actions of Christ alone. And so John is no different in addressing these false teachers. Uh, The false teachers that he's likely addressing here is there were people that were teaching an early version of Gnosticism, and that is, that's a $20 word, you can take it to the bank. So early Gnosticism, it really didn't form until the second and third centuries when it really kind of took off. But the basic tenets of Gnosticism is essentially everything that's physical is evil. You know, they, they take, oh, well, the world's sinful, so that must mean everything in the world is sinful and evil. And so what that leads them to is our bodies are these evil, sinful prisons for our spirit. Only the spirit can be good. That is the, the thought process of the Gnostics. And so what does that mean for Christ? Well, that means that Christ couldn't have come as a human. He couldn't have had a body because bodies are evil and Christ was all good. And so you see this idea, they're, they're denying the fact that Jesus came in the flesh. They're denying the humanity of Christ. They're denying the fact that he truly came fully man and fully God. Um, there are a lot of people that thought maybe it's some kind of spiritual projection, that kind of thing. Um, I guess Jesus was a hologram to them. Um, But there's this idea they rejected the humanity of Christ, and that has a lot of terrible implications for the gospel. Essentially, that makes it where he's not a worthy sacrifice to die on our behalf. And he wasn't one, if he wasn't human, he truly doesn't understand us. He didn't understand the temptations that we all walk through. But as we look in scripture, he was tempted in all ways, and yet he was without sin. He He was fully human. He was born of a woman. He was born of Mary. And so what these people are teaching is a gospel that is very different than the truth, than what the apostles are teaching. And so John leaves no room for these people. He is what seems very harsh, and it seems very unloving, especially according to current cultural standards of love. This idea of 
rejecting a teaching, this idea of rebuking someone who's going down a path of destruction, we label as unloving today. But as we see, truth is a key component of love. And so if we just allow them to keep going in their path of destruction, well, that's where they're going to end up is destruction. Um, so the Gnostics are most likely the people he's talking about, but it's not um, explicit. But as I was reading through this this week, I was just kind of came to the question of, okay, this feels like an extreme shift. Why go from, hey, y'all need to love each other. So why is he talking about love just a few verses before? Y'all need to love each other, you need to be in unity, and also don't talk to these people. It Doesn't that feel like a, it almost feels like a contradiction at first, but it's not. So these people are coming and preaching a different gospel, preaching a different love, a different truth. We know that if they're teaching falsehoods, then the love that comes behind it is false. And we know that it also leads to destruction, corruption. Um, We see that they are leading people. These people, there in verse 9, it talks about you may lose what you have worked for. And you may, but if you hold that back, you may win the full reward. Not that these Christians will lose their salvation, but as this false teaching comes in, they're not going to be able to experience God in His fullness, in His truth. They won't know the, the true character of who God is. And it will lead to them being less effective. But also, as they go out and share this false gospel, they're leading people astray who may not be Christians. And they will lead them into destruction. And so this is so dangerous to allow into the church. I've, it's happened all throughout. I'm sure many of you here have seen churches that have just crumbled. And it happened back in our hometown, a good friend of ours church. They had something very similar to this happen to them. There was a small group that started within their church that started teaching something that was contrary. And it started small. And it slowly infected the church to the point where the church, it led to a very nasty split that was news all over town. And so the church wasn't known for their love for one another. They weren't glorifying God. They were known for this terrible split. So it made them less effective in sharing the gospel. And it almost led to their destruction as a church as a whole. Thankfully, God redeems. And the faithful there, they struggled for a while, but God redeemed that. And they're a very strong church now, you know, but that's only through God. But this happens all throughout the world. This false teaching comes in and it is like a cancer. It just grows and it multiplies. And so we see how important it is to stand in truth, to watch out for false teaching. And we see that um, just John doesn't give any room for false teachers to be welcomed into the church. And we're going to dive into that because we could take it in a wrong path if we're not careful. But so first he warns the Christians there, don't fall for it. Don't fall for what they're selling you. Remember what you were first taught. Remember that first commandment. Remember the true gospel. 
This is the similar call to Paul, right? You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You know, who, why have you fallen for this? Don't fall for the false teaching. We see he makes it clear that these teachers are not true believers. There in verse 9, it talks about them not abiding in the teachings of Christ. They don't have God. These are false teachers who claim to be Christians who are leading people once again into destruction. They don't know God. And then he warns them not to welcome them in the church. And we're going to park here for a little bit, verses 10 and 11, because these are kind of hard verses for us. This, as I first read this, it you know, kind of had to wrestle with it. It kind of makes you squirm a little bit, you know. So I'm going to reread verse 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, speaking of the gospel and the truth, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So the idea here is there, there have been groups that have allowed these false teachers in as just as any other missionary, and they don't rebuke them. They don't preach truth to them. And so what, do you, what does that essentially do? Well, you're essentially condoning their actions. If you don't speak truth into them or speak what is the true gospel to them and la- allow them to keep sharing the false gospel, you're, you're condoning their actions. You're taking part in their evil. It's, the, it's similar to, you know, in times of war, those who don't speak out against atrocities. But they know it's happening and they could stop it and they don't say anything. Well, they're just as liable because they didn't do anything to stop it. They're just as guilty. And that's what John is saying here. Um, when you first read this, it, you can kind of come to the conclusion of, well, does this mean we just stay in our holy huddles? Because everyone who's not a Christian, they're, they're saying something that's not the truth. Should we just stay in our little group and never go out and never talk to anyone? Because, you know, we're the only ones with truth. Well, no. If we stay pinned up in here all week and we just never leave the church because it's scary and sinful outside, if we never go out, we're not following the commands of verse 5 and 6. We're not walking in love. We're not walking in the truth. We're not walking according to what Jesus has commanded us. Jesus has commanded us to go and make disciples, go out into the world. If we are to be like Christ, love like Christ, well, we need to use him as an example. And he didn't stay, well, he didn't stay in heaven. He came down in the flesh and died for us. He didn't stay in his little holy huddle. He didn't hang out with the 12 disciples and no one else. He he went out and he reached the masses. But as we walk through this idea of reaching out instead of staying here. Staying here would mean not sharing the gospel, not sharing the words of life, and letting the world fall into death. And we have, we have the cure. We were given the answer. We have the truth. We have to go out and share. Just as Jesus went out, We must look more and more like him. As that spiral happens of living in love and truth, we will eventually look more and more like Christ. So, how are we we to do this? How are we to...
be outwardly focused? How are we to love the world but not let deceivers in? Be welcoming and hospitable but not opening up the church to corruption and uh, destruction. How, how are we to do that? Well, once again, let's look back to Christ. Let's look at the gospel. Let's look at how he interacted with people during his earthly ministry. With, with the gospel, he came and saved us even when we we're spitting in his face and yelling, crucify him. And during his earthly ministry, I want to look at two examples. And it's a how Jesus talked to the Pharisees. I just want to think, and we won't go to the particular passage, there's so many, but think of how he talked to the Pharisees. He wasn't lovey-dovey toward the Pharisees. He didn't welcome them in and say, well, you know, you guys, y'all, got, y'all are claiming God. You know, y'all are trying, you're trying your best, you're claiming God. You know, we're all on the same team. Just come in. I'm not going to say anything about your teaching, even though it's, it's kind of wrong. It would be unloving for me to be mean to you. That's not how Jesus talked to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the false teachers of the day. They claimed to know the law. And they, I mean, they knew it academically, but they weren't living it out. And what did Jesus do? He looked them right in the face and spoke truth to them. He didn't allow them to continue spreading this falsehood without sharing truth, without combating them. So he, he was very stern. And it, once again, it just doesn't fit a lot of our ideas of Jesus, kind of the idea, the finger guns Jesus. I don't know if y'all have ever heard where he's, he's all loving, man. He never talks, you know, mean or things. No, Jesus was very we would almost say harsh toward the Pharisees because they were claiming to have the truth and they were leading people into destruction. And that is the most unloving thing you can do is say, you know, if the bridge is out, you know, and you see someone about to drive over it and you say, well, I don't want to mess with them. I don't want to bother them. And they drive off the bridge. Well, you know, that probably wasn't the most loving act you could have done. The idea of Christ speaking truth to them was showing them love. Because there were many Pharisees that Jesus spoke truth to, and they came to faith. Think of Joseph, the tomb that Jesus was laid in. Joseph was a Pharisee. Think of Paul. He was Pharisee of Pharisees. And he encountered Christ, and he became the writer of most of the New Testament. But it was truth. You know, Jesus didn't appear to Paul on the road to Damascus and say, hey, you know, you're trying your best. You're seeking after God. You know, keep it up, bud. No, he said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He was very direct with them. And see, how, how did he interact with the sinners, the people that weren't these religious leaders? It was, it was different in method, but he was still showing them love. It was interesting. He, with the Pharisees, it, it almost seems as if he starts with truth, and because of truth, they're showing them love through truth. But Jesus, with the sinners, showed them love through compassion. He showed them the truth of his nature, his mercy, his grace. He had dinner with them. He showed them hospitality. So the command not to speak to these deceivers isn't a command to not speak to anybody. 
It is a command to speak truth when truth is necessary, which is all the time. It's the manner in which you speak it. As you walk through speaking to someone who is sharing a false gospel versus someone who's never even heard of Jesus, you're going to go about it different. But in both instances, you're going to show them love, show them compassion and mercy and grace, just as our Savior did for us, and you're going to speak truth to them. And now the manner in which you share that truth will look very different. But that is what we are called to do, to look more and more like our Savior and to interact with people more and more like our Savior. So as we take of the bread today, I want you to think of the gospel. Think of the commandment that you first heard. Think of to repent to turn away from your rebellion and trust in Jesus and his actions. So as you take of the bread, remember his broken body for you. As you take of the grape juice, think of the blood that was spilt for you on your behalf. And as you dwell on Jesus, I want you to really pray, and how, how can I look more and more like you? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for allowing us to walk through your word. Um, Lord, I just pray that we hear your word and we not only become hearers of your word, but doers of your word. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for all that Jesus has done for us. And we just pray that we can look more and more like him. So in your mighty name we pray. Amen.